I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations and I pay my respect to their elders past and present. I extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples connected to each of the hundreds of countries around so-called Australia. I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of Rose Tinted Law and your host. RTL is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. And today I'm thrilled to introduce to you Peppy Kish. Peppy Kish likes to do things differently. She is a multi-award winning lawyer and innovator. She's been practicing family law for over a decade and she advocates for a kinder team-based approach to divorce. She also loves setting up collaborations and partnerships and this open mindset informs her leadership style in truly innovative and exciting ways. As well as running Balance Family Law and winning over 25 industry awards, Peppy is co-founder of The Kind Lawyers, a multidisciplinary movement of lawyers, mediators, therapists, and academics who are all committed to changing the way people experience divorce and separation. She is also chair of Connecting Lawyer Mums, a support group dedicated to boosting the well-being, confidence, and careers of lawyer mums throughout Australia. Peppy caught my eye last year when she co-authored an article titled It's Easier to Stay Silent About bullying in the law. She and her co-author argued that there are very few safe, socially agreeable ways to openly discuss bullying in the legal profession for fear of repercussions, and thus a code of silence emerges. They were very open about their experiences, and this personal approach to discussing workplace bullying I found very refreshing and important and impactful. It was bold. Peppy therefore went straight to the top of my list of dream podcast guests. I wanted to sit down and have an honest conversation with her because I wanted to ask her all about how she got the confidence to advocate on such an important issue. And in this episode, we go there. We talk about what she calls the spectrum of workplace bullying, why collaboration and partnerships are the key to legal career success. And we also take a deep dive on her career journey, including why she ended up becoming a lawyer rather than an actor, which was her true passion. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you. This episode of Rose Tinted Law is proudly brought to you by Clarence. For more than 25 years, Clarence has built a reputation for the unique and sophisticated offices, ideally located in the legal precincts of Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney. But what truly sets Clarence apart is their member services. To find out why over 500 legal practices call Clarence home, you can check out their extremely workable membership options at clarenceprofessionalgroup.com.au. 
gorgeous Peppy Kish. Welcome to Rose Tips with Law, the podcast. How are you? Hello, Rose. I'm well. Good to be here, finally. Yeah. Um, we recently had the pleasure of catching up in person in Melbourne, which was an absolute treat. And you are someone who always comes up on my socials and I've always got a lot of questions about what you do and how you do it. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to explore some behind the scenes of how and why you do everything that you do. But first of all, I just wanted to go back to the very, very beginning. When did you decide that you wanted to study law? Well, I actually have a written record of it because when I was nine years old, just it seems to be the year that I was nine years old, I kept this diary and it was a diary that I wrote down, you know, all the things I wanted to do, my favorite songs. Sometimes there was a bit of, you know, which football team I wanted to win, all sorts of crap like that. But there's a list in that diary that has listed from one to 10 what I want to do. And I think lawyer features four on that list. Otherwise, yeah, I think it's like actor, model, singer. (laughs) (laughs) But that was highly influenced by my mum. So my mum had dreamed to be a lawyer, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out for her. And so she sort of passed that on to me. You have to be a lawyer. Ingrained at a very young age. And did you go straight from high school to law school? Yeah, I didn't have a choice. (laughs) So I was like, no gap here, absolutely not. You have to go straight to uni. And so, yes, I did an arts law degree at the University of Canberra. And what kind of law student were you? I was not the type that I would say was particularly conscientious. My goal was to get through law school as quickly as possible so I could go off, bugger off and be an actor, which is what I wanted to do. It was something I needed to do because, you know, my parents expected it and they were very much of the view that you have to have your backup plan. You have to have that and you have to do that. And then you can do what you want because if that doesn't go as planned, you've got your backup, which I have a very different view about now with my kids, which I'll tell you about later. Really? I did that. Yeah. So I did that. And because I wanted to power through it at that point, I did evidence in my first year, which was ridiculously stupid. I don't think I knew what I was doing. And I also elected, because I've always been a diehard night owl, not good in the mornings, I elected to do as many of my classes at night as possible. So I found myself often in tutorials being a teenage girl with all the mature age students. And usually they were older white males. And so, yeah, I I always felt a little bit mm, like in the tutorial groups. I don't really fit in here. This feels really weird and at odds with who I am. Oh, wow. Did you do seasonal clerkships? Well, I did. I kind of had this way of sort of stumbling into opportunities. Maybe it was a bit of luck, but in my third year, I saw an ad for a clerkship at a government department, actually, because I'm from Canberra. And so we, it's a government, Commonwealth government departments, and it was offered through that. And so, yes, I did a clerkship through that over the summer in between third and fourth year. Which department was that in? Well, I'm not sure what it's called today. I think it might be known as human services, but back then it was called FACTSIA, which was family and community services. And I can't remember what the INA standard well no because I was only in fourth year so it could have resulted in me continuing to work in that department in some capacity but it wasn't really for me I I distinctly recall when I'd put things on the boss's desk he'd say to me you need to stick to the precedents we're not really interested in your opinion (laughs) 
(laughs) I just found it incredibly frustrating, sort of the government department that you had a very, it was very cookie cutter and you had to give your advice within some pretty restrictive restraints. That's tautology, but that's, I'm emphasizing how sort of restricted I felt in that role. When you did graduate, what was your first role after uni? Oh, I stumbled, before I graduated, I stumbled into another very good role, which I was very lucky. So I was the associate to the Children's Court Magistrate in, yeah, between, I think I commenced the job between fourth and fifth year. Wow. Yeah. So again, it just so happened I was wandering along and I walked past the Children's Court one day and I was like, oh, I'd like to work there. It looks like interesting and I love at that point, I really liked that. This is going to sound bad. At that point, I really wanted to work with kids, not so much now. But back then, I was like, I really want to work with kids. And this would be a great opportunity to combine that with the law. And so I just remember seeing an ad in the paper saying, looking for associates. It did say you had to be a graduate or close to, but I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to give it a go, see how it goes. Mm. I went along to an interview with two of the magistrates who were looking. And I later found out that they both had wanted me, but the more senior got me. And I just went along and was just talked really about what I love doing. And I had done a lot of volunteer work at that point. So sort of from the age of eight until oh, all the way through, I'd always worked in some volunteer capacity. And at that point, it was in St. Vinnie's, working with families, usually going with my dad. At the very beginning, you had that love of working with families and yeah children, parents in the legal system. Yeah, so I probably didn't realise when they were young that they were in the legal system, but they may very well have been. So when I was growing up, my dad and I spent a lot of time together. My mum had a very active, I guess, social life and so she'd, she'd do what she did with her friends. She liked the pokies at night. And dad would, you know, when I was quite young, I think from the age of eight, he'd go, oh, you can come along to St. Vinny's with me. And it's actually really a nice thing to do to take you because I'm often going into single parent households and they've got young children and having a child with me kind of makes it a little bit less confronting for a lot of the mums and kids that I go. I mean, he didn't say this to me, but I believe this would have been his reasoning. And this was in the 90s. So people didn't really raise an eyebrow about taking a kid along to these yeah. type of things. I would go along and I have very strong memories of going into those households and being around those families. I remember the smells and I remember, yeah, just the sadness. It was very palpable in those spaces and it always it's always followed me, I think, and I've always felt a deep sort of connection to people in those situations. So I guess I talked about that in my interview and I talked about wanting to work with children who were disadvantaged and because one of those magistrates was in the children's court, he, yeah, and the rest was history. So started working there while I was still at uni. I worked full-time, so as usual, my university work was delegated to not as important. I've always valued that practical experience and the skills you can gain. Just quickly on that, I think that's why it's like so, it's almost like too simplistic when people say, oh, is it just about growth? Rates. No, it's not awful. No. Like maybe 99% of jobs, you need practical experience, you need a personality, you need street smarts as well as book smarts. Yeah. yeah. And it's only very, very few jobs in the legal industry where they do want the HD for every single thing yeah. and the best of the best yeah. academically. But the well, best I- of the best academically might not necessarily mean that they're working full time. <laughs> 
as a as an associate in the children's court with <laughs> you know I've never that's a good example of that yeah I've never got a HD so I wouldn't <laughs> so there you go I think I got a the whole range of grades yeah. I think I got yeah. D's credits and, you, and I failed you're a successful welcome partner yeah. now how did you end up in family law and how did you realize that family law really was your place in the law and that was your passion? Yeah, again, about your career. stumbled into it again, Rose. So I tend to have this habit. So of course, obviously what was driving me was not really the look I want to be, or I wasn't looking to be a family lawyer specifically, but rather an opportunity came up and it was in family law. So it resonated. So after being an associate, I ended up working for the statutory child protection agency because I worked for closely with them as an associate. So they offered me a job straight away afterwards. So I did that, but only for six months because then I did what I really wanted to do and I buggered off to go and be an actor. So I did that until I got pregnant. And then how long were you an actor for? Well, I went to study. So I studied uh, a course there and then I always did theatre. I always did like little ads and things, which you could probably hovering around there somewhere in cyberspace. So I did that until I fell pregnant. And then the last formal acting job that I did was actually when I was terribly having morning sickness and feeling so nauseous. And it was the irony. It was a series of government videos that people would get when they were going to get married. So when, <laughs> this was in 2006, 2007. And yeah, so you, you'd get these DVDs about what to expect, you know, when you're getting married and you got it apparently in a pack. I got it when I... Oh, really? Yeah, in the in the ACT anyway. They were Commonwealth <laughs> Government videos. And so, yeah, the irony was I was like what people should be aware of when they're getting married. So I was basically reenacting all these scenes and with a fake husband and I remember oh the, the nausea I was experiencing. So anyway, had a baby, had a medical mishap, which is a, probably a story for another day, but yeah. it kind of ruined my confidence because I had some significant burns and, you know, if you're trying to go and to, to be go into auditions and you want to be an actor and you've got bandages all over your leg, that was a little bit of a, oh, a problem. Wow. So anyway, as I said, story for another day. But yeah. combination of events just made me sort of go, no, I've got a young child. The acting life isn't going to work for me. I've got to go be responsible. So I went back to my government role. I worked not only in law but also in casework. So, and I did some postgraduate studies in human services, which was sort of like a, social, a mini social work degree for all the caseworkers who hadn't studied social work or psychology. So it was a way to get people who are lawyers and teachers and other professions into casework because they were so short-staffed. How interesting. I worked in casework, absolutely loved it. Probably my favourite job to date despite it being soul-destroying. But again, I was working with families, very disadvantaged families, and my particular goal was to unify families and restore children to their parents where it's possible. I worked with lots of Indigenous families, and what I really encountered is that there are so many prejudices and biases against people in our society, and you know, they really need someone to advocate and fight for them and help them navigate the system because one misstep and all those negative perceptions are just compounded. So anyway, it, it got too hard with a baby and I took the first job that came up, which was a job in family law. (laughs) And it was meant to be a temporary job, but I ended up finding that it fitted with who I was and what I liked doing. And so here I am 12 years later, still family lawyering. Wow, that's so interesting.
Are you a legal professional looking for the perfect space to meet with clients, have a beautiful space to work in uninterrupted, and have access to a range of services that will help set you apart from the rest? Then our sponsor, Clarence Workplaces, is for you. Clarence is well known for their unique and sophisticated offices, ideally located in the legal precincts of Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney. But what truly sets Clarence apart is their member services. Their on-site member services teams are dedicated to help build and grow your business from welcoming you and your clients to supporting your business operations through IT, marketing, and paralegal services. The Clarence team can assist you where and when you need it, helping you focus on what you're good at. To find out more about the extremely workable membership options, ranging from serviced offices to co-working spaces and meeting rooms and virtual offices, head to clarenceprofessionalgroup.com.au. March 2019, you co-founded Balance Family Law, which, by the way, I think is one of the law firms in Australia that has the best branding. I love oh, it. Oh, thank you. And I don't usually like law firm branding. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. In all seriousness, though, you've started it with your colleague, Jono. Yeah. And you really do not seem like your typical law firm partners. No. <laughs> Can you please take us behind the scenes of the decision to set up Balance Family Law and what your mission there is? Yeah, so I started Balance because really I wanted a place where I could take the clients that I had at the time and continue working for them and supporting them because the firm I'd worked in had been liquidated and then we were acquired by another firm. And to be completely frank, it was a hostile environment to myself and to Jono and also to those clients. And yeah, we decided, Jono and I, over many discussions. So Jono had worked with me since 2016. He started off as my legal assistant and paralegal. So wow. Yeah. So we're not actually like, we're not of the same vintage. I'm over 10 years, well over 10 years older than him, but he came along as my plucky paralegal and we just sort of connected and we became almost inseparable. And I say we have a very symbiotic sort of style, a very complimentary style, but we also challenge each other and we're very comfortable in conflict when that happens. So it's just a very, a healthy, happy relationship really and what ended up happening was we wanted to create something we never aspired to be law firm owners in fact we were kind of sussing out what other firms might suit and really none of them kind of really appealed too much and so we thought what can we do let's start a firm let's create a home for these beautiful clients that we're looking after so that was the actual main reason and then from there we thought hey we can finally do this fixed fee thing that our current employers are poo-pooing we can finally do all these things uh that we really want to do and for me previously in the firm that I worked for, which was liquidated, which was, it had, obviously it was liquidated. So there were issues there and it did have a few negative things happening in that space. But the one positive, one of the positives of working in that role, which I did for eight years was flexibility. I was able to work from home and I'd worked from home since my second child had been born. So this was sort of before it was popular or even common yeah. to do so. So it was just necessary. It was necessary. For working mums. Yeah. <laughs> well, because we didn't have enough room in the office. So there was another mum, another lovely lawyer who'd had a baby just a few months before. And it came about that we had to work from home because we had to share an office. So it just <laughs> rotating thing. Anyway, my old boss had been very proud. He felt like he was one of the first people to 
foster that kind of arrangement. So, so Jodo and I, we weren't allowed. I was, when we went to this new firm briefly for about 10 months, I was not allowed to work from home anymore. Everything I did was watched. It was quite a authoritarian environment. And there was always seemed to be the assumption that if you weren't there sitting at your desk, looking yeah. embattled, you must be up to something. That was the real culture of that firm. So yeah, you know, over a very hot summer, Jono and I would go out to the park in 37 degree dry heat, the dry heat of Canberra, and put together our thoughts about this firm. And come March 2019, we launched it. And I'd say it was born from the frying pan. It was born from a lot of pressure and quite a negative situation. Jono and I talk about how we repurposed a lot of negativity into something positive. So yeah, that's not to discount the negativity, which does have to be dealt with, but we were able to go, okay, let's just do what we need to do to make something good of this situation. So was he still your paralegal at that stage? No. So he had just been admitted in the November of 2018 or October, actually. His anniversary just passed and I forgot to celebrate it with him. So sorry, Jono, but <laughs> we never celebrate things on time anyway. We'll probably have our five-year anniversary when the firm's 17 years old. That's us. <laughs> he was a junior lawyer. Wow. That's quite unusual, if not unheard of in and of itself. So yeah. What did that look like and how did that happen? Well, so I am I am the director of the firm. I'm the sole director and I see Jono and I as we're co-founders and it's very much a combination of, of what yeah. we do and what we, we want to do together. Jono is really expanding our estate planning side of the firm at the moment. Yeah. That's sort of his baby and it's really wonderful. That was sort of our COVID pivot. We were so worried when COVID happened. We were like, oh gosh, are we going to have enough work? We were a very young firm. You have all those issues and worries and we're like, okay, what can we do? And the estate planning practice was born. So that has grown and gone from strength to strength. And yep, the family law team is growing as well. And we've got a senior lawyer, two consultant lawyers and two paralegals and a law clerk. How so, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to keep our growth kind of slow. Maybe it was a bit too slow because Jono and I were pulling our hair out at the end of the last <laughs> year going, how are we doing the work of 570 people? A lot of midnights last year in trying to get it all done, but we wanted to keep things, I guess, you know, grow slowly because one slowly of the most but deliberately, slowly but deliberately. But we wanted to, and I learnt from previous issues. So I mentioned that was, that was litigated, no. um, litigated, liquidated, liquidated. <laughs> I'm far out. So the firm was liquidated, and I believe it's because it just didn't have those strong foundations. It yeah. had been a small firm, and then my boss had wanted to. He just had this idea: let's make it this huge, big firm, and it grew so quickly. And then like a house of cards, it all came tumbling down. Tumbling down. So I said, let's grow slowly, deliberately with the emphasis on building a really robust, thriving culture, which I think we're doing really well at Balance. Yeah, fantastic. It's such a refreshing take on law firm ownership and way of like conducting the business of law as well. Yeah. That, it, it, that, that the culture and people are really at the centre along with yeah. the clients. Yeah. You're also an advocate for against workplace bullying in the law and I think you can pick up and read between the lines of some of the things yeah. that you've said already. What's yeah. informed that? And it is also a trend that's more prevalent in some areas of the legal ecosystem than others. And you really caught my attention earlier this year in a Lawyer's Weekly article titled, It's Easier to Stay Silent About Bullying in the Law. What led you to this conclusion? It 
comes down to fear. A lot of the reasons or the decisions we make are based on fear. And I have a little group on on Facebook where I shared the idea of the article with them and, you know, everyone was a little bit worried about, well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. You know, other people have said, I don't want to be sued. It was all sort of happening around the time Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you sure you want to do that? I ended up having a a co-conspirator, Julianne, who contributed to the article with me. And I think... I'm still battling this issue, Rose. It's really, really hard because I am hearing all those voices in my head, be careful. It's it's overwhelming. Be careful, yeah. be careful, is it worth it? And then I've got, I talk about, I think that, that spectrum of bullying and it's because I have to look into myself and say, was what happened to me personally bad enough? I wasn't like, yeah, yeah. It, it was bad and I, I can talk about it later if you want. It's very hard for me to kind of unpack sometimes because I'm like, what what actually did happen? I don't think I've ever really addressed some of those issues as well as I should have. But what I did see, and perhaps it's me always about me making it about the other person, is what happened to other people around me. And I have some regrets that I didn't do more. You know, I tried to be there for some of those young girls that it was happening to, but, you know, I just felt that I could have done more. Yeah, It was just hard. It was like, what do you do in this this situation? You can see it happening and it's, it's awful. And there are people who were doing it who, who are around, you know, I don't, they were the bullies. I still see them around and, you know, we smile at each other and the like, but I'm like, oh, I don't know what they make of that situation, what they would do now because they've moved on and they've grown as well presumably. They're working in good firms. I often wonder what they've made of the situation in their own heads. And it's it's this sort of unspoken, you know, you talk about the silence and that's exactly it. Yes. Everybody kind of pussyfoots around the issue. There's this awkwardness around it. You're like, well, what actually is bad enough bullying or is that just something I should deal with? Should I just exactly. deal with that? Because I've always prided myself on being really tough. I've had some shit happen to me. Yep. And so I'm like, actually met with a colleague yesterday she was a coach and I was talking to her about the medical mishap issue and she goes oh that's so terrible that must have been traumatic and I actually look back on the situation which I guess should have been traumatic but I laugh about it I just make a joke of it and I think oh in the scheme of things it wasn't as bad as to some other things that have happened to me so it was just yeah you, you kind of I think everybody is like is this actually bad enough does this warrant the reaction that I'm feeling at the end of the day you have to think about why it's making you feeling that way and we need to start talking about these issues and so that people aren't alone feeling yes absolutely it's really helpful like you know to call it a spectrum of bullying that really did strike a chord with me and it has actually made me realize that I have been the subject of that previously but when you're caught up in it you just you don't know if it's you yeah like one thing that I have thought about a lot I was like oh is it something that I said yeah is it something that I did yeah but I think we also have to realize that in a workplace your seniors have legal obligations this law (laughs) that says that how they can and can't treat people so even if like this is what I've told myself, even if I did say something that was like rude or rub them up the wrong way or whatever, it's no excuse for the gaslighting behaviour. The yeah. What are the other examples you gave, like being left out of things or Rejection. the traditional praise? 
yeah, which was all rife as well. And I think it is a really important conversation to have about like what's just asshole behavior, what's just shitty behavior, what is actionable, like what you know, who do you talk to? Because, you know, HR is often sometimes helpful, sometimes not. Yeah. And also in law firms, there is a really big power imbalance when the leaders bring in the money and that's what the firm values over the culture of protecting their staff. That's a generalisation, but it's a true one. Like it happens in different workplaces. So thank you so much for speaking out about that because I do think it is a really important conversation to have. Yeah. And I think we often talk about the support that comes after, but we need to, as you say, identify or help people work through, maybe not defining is not the right word, but unpacking an experience and going, okay, what was that? Why has it impacted me this way? Is it bullying? Is it something else? Yeah. Obviously something untoward has happened. Yes. Uh, We need to start working through this because when I did that article, the overwhelming responses that I got usually private, there were a couple of people who commented, well, there were lots of people who commented, but the overwhelming private DMs I got through LinkedIn and there was a certain type of person that was writing to me and they were always female. Okay. Well, actually there was a male. There was a male. No, that's wrong. There was, there were two males actually. But otherwise, mostly female, mostly from a non-English speaking background or a diverse background and looking at their their picture and their history, presumably they were sort of under 35. Wow. Lots of them in the 20s. And they all were saying the same thing. Thank you so much for saying this. Yeah. I have experienced this or I am experiencing this. I don't really know what to do about it, but just seeing it out there is, is some form of comfort. And look, they still didn't know what to do. I all I could say is I'm here for you if you want. Yeah. To. But it's still that situation where, okay, well, what's what's the next step here? Or do we just? Or how do we help people to to navigate these? Yeah, yeah. I think um, creating spaces to have the conversations is very important because if we don't know what our rights are, we don't know what is right and what's wrong, and we don't have perspective on it. Because when you are caught up in like you know, these workplace situations, it's all consuming because work is takes up most of our lives, really. Yeah. So it's hard to really have that perspective. So yeah, I look forward to supporting your work and helping to progress the conversation in that space. As yeah, well. absolutely. And look, I say it's sometimes a slow burn exercise because I think you can come out there and you can say something bold and, and then everybody gets on board and then it sort of fizzles out. So sometimes for it to be more sustainable, you have to take your time, think about things, reflect. Yeah. And yeah, you don't, it doesn't always have to be these boom, boom things. I I wanted to do the article just to start that conversation again. And a bit of a reminder to me to like, this happened to me. I know it's still happening in environments and I'm still hearing from people that they just have to do that. And we're seeing this exodus of talent, particularly in family law. So many people end up leaving. I mean, the job's hard enough as it is, but when it's compounded by having to deal with challenging personalities and situations, we're losing some of the best practitioners. Yeah. And I feel like there needs to be incentive to stay. Yeah. Like a lot of it is like, why are employees leaving or quite quitting or changing jobs so quickly? And it's like, well, because a lot of the time what's going on in the workplaces doesn't align with our values. Exactly. You know, (laughs) that's big. (laughs) And we've got the reports that say, that confirm that (laughs) 
Uh-huh. This is happening all over the profession. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, another thing I wanted to ask you about is another really interesting project that you are involved in, and that is the Kind Lawyers. <laughs> yes. So can you tell us about the Kind Lawyers and where that came from and what you do there? Yeah, so... The Kind Lawyers, another bit of a slow burn project. We're actually meeting today to do our plans for 2023 um, with COVID and all sorts of things going on and, yeah, me being involved in various other projects as well. We haven't been able to progress things, I guess, as quickly as we wanted to, but on reflection we're happy about that because it's allowed us to sort of take stock and go, okay, well, what do we really want this initiative to achieve? So the Kind Lawyers is a movement first and foremost and it was born out of a desire to change the conversation about divorce and separation from one of combat to kindness. So we were eight practitioners, lawyers, mediators, therapists in the family law space that were just, I guess, over that combative attitude in family law and we were just so aware of the damage, not only to families and children, but also to ourselves and and the impact it was having. So that was the original motivation. And we thought that we want to role model the type of behaviors. And because the eight of us worked beautifully together, and it wasn't necessarily that we were doing, you know, collaborative law matters or all those peaceful, you know, hearts and flowers type of separations, not at all. We were even to able to work through difficult litigation in a way that was respectful, civil and kind. And we were even able to enjoy it as well because we supported each other as colleagues, even though we were representing opposing parties. Yeah. And so we thought, well, if we can do it and if we can make family law, difficult family law, not just the easy hearts and flower, not that the hearts and flower stuff is easy, that has its challenges as well. But even that, you know, entrenched litigation, if we can make that more positive, then surely we have an obligation to share that. So it came from that. And also, if I'm completely honest, a bit of a selfish motivator that I was sick of dealing with dickheads. (laughs) This movement could neutralize some of those dickheads, or at least get them to consider a different way to approach their work, then that's something. Less resistance. I was trying to clear the path so that I was able to work with families and assist them in in a way that was met with the least amount of resistance. So over the course of the year, so earlier this year, we did some presentations to the law societies and the ACT in the New South Wales, where we talked about the principles of kind loan and how we actually do it. And as we've thought about things this year, I've realised it is evolving into a bit of a wellness initiative as well in the sense that to be kind, you have to start with being kind to yourself. And yes. why are lawyers behaving in a way that you would think is at odds with uh, being a good human? <laughs> like if you wouldn't do this to your friend or you know somebody on the street, why would you do it to somebody in a letter or on the phone or however you communicate in a hostile way? Yes. Communicate to a self-represented person who's a party to a separation in that way like just think about it think about how your correspondence and your actions make might make another person feel you'd think that's a simple concept but lawyers don't actually think about that they think about the law they think about the process they think about their clients rights and entitlements and they don't zoom out and think about the big picture enough and the law with its processes and its precedent i think can actually be very counterproductive to tackling matters in a human way. And I've always said, 
precedent in family law? Do we really, really, really want to look at it as the benchmark of a way to resolve a matter when often it's the adversarial cases that failed and needed the judge to intervene that are determining the way forward? So it's having that perspective. Yeah, it's having that perspective that we at least owe it to our clients to give them that narrative to say, okay, there was this high court case that went all the way and there's all these very terribly exciting legal principles that come from it that are incredibly exciting and stimulating for a lawyer to read. But at the end of the day, these two people hated each other so much that they've spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyers and they've ended up with a result that probably both of them are equally unhappy with. So don't we have a right to tell our clients that our advice is based on that? (laughs) How does this vibe with other lawyers? Some absolutely love it. Some absolutely love it. But often it's, you know, who love it the most, the mental health professionals and the psychologists who've been my biggest supporters and the mediators who have the social science background or also ex-lawyers who who left the profession because they felt similarly to me and were like, I can't do this anymore. I've decided to stay on. I don't know what the more traditional lawyers think about this point of view. I recently did an article for our Law Society Journal where I raised it. Of course, I always hear from the people who love it. Yeah, I'm really putting it out there. I want to hear from the people who want to challenge me because they're very quiet and I'm yet to be trolled. I'm yet to have somebody throw my opinion in my face and say something else. And I'm not that I'm welcoming that, but in a way I kind of am because I'm interested to see what people who don't agree with me think and and have that conversation. I think that could be quite exciting. Because we could, you know, maybe I can teach them a thing or two and who knows, maybe they can teach me a thing or two. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I love that so much. Up to our final three questions. Cool. I'll ask everyone three questions that I just think are interesting. First one is, is law who you know or what you know? Oh, I'm really, when I saw this question, I was like, I wanted to say both. But you know what? I think... I'm going to err and and say who you know. And I'm saying who you know because that is an emphasis on relationships. And the most powerful thing for me moving forward in every aspect of my business has been the relationships I've built, relationships built on trust, on community and joint commitment to learning and, and growth and fostering that growth mindset. So I'm going to say who you know because you need to find your people but you also need to be willing to reach out to the people who don't see things your way and see yep. if you can change their mind or at least present a point of view that gets them thinking about their mindset. Peppy, what advice would you give to others who want to follow in your fabulous shoes? Well, I would say be the first person to trust, okay? Sometimes I think, God, I'm too much of an open book. I'm too trusting. I'm going to, you know, slip up. And look, I've had a few gaffes in my life, foot in mouth. Plenty of times that's happened. Plenty of times I've been uh-huh. hurt. But I've been hurt a lot. I've I've had a lot of uh, mean girl experiences in law. There's, you know, there's even a group I'm in a part of now where I'm like, why? You know, usually I get along really well with everyone, but there's these three or four people in the group who I just feel don't want me there for whatever reason. You know, but I'm still going to put myself out there. I'm still going to trust and believe that, you know, if someone really doesn't like me, oh, well, that's that's kind of on them. I'm I'm always there to, to give and be generous. Don't be stingy with your advice. And there's plenty of work for everybody in this area. People will always have problems that need resolution. So be generous. Don't think about what you have to gain. All relationships are transactional to a degree, but think more about, what that currency is and 
Yes. Sometimes being around somebody who makes you smile and you know you can trust and who's there for you is the best payment. Better than referrals, better than all those other things yeah. I always want. And final question, what advice would you give your younger self? Okay, this circles back to what I said about my mum who said I had to have a fallback plan. Yes. I'm completely the opposite. We say go and do the mature, responsible thing, get your backup plan and then follow your dreams. When I went to acting school, I remember um, with some degree of trauma when I was hauled into the middle of the room and asked to do a scene where I had to cry on the spot. I couldn't do it. I had 20 eyes on me and the teacher yelling at me and I couldn't cry on the spot. And she just went to town on me and said, you know what, Peppy, it's because the stakes aren't high enough for you. You don't want this bad enough because you've got a perfectly good plan B. You've got your law degree and you've said on a number of occasions that you didn't hate that job. You liked it. So your stakes will never be high enough. And there were two people in that group who put it all in and both of them have made it as professional actors now. It was because, and I recognize on reflection and looking back that they put everything into that. That was, you know, their dream. And so they put everything into that. They didn't have a safety net. Safety net was gone. And I say to my daughters, because, um, one of them is that, well, both of them are dancers, but the older one is coming up to 15 now. So it's getting serious. And I'm the opposite to my mum. I'm like, go and pursue your passion. You can come back and do the serious stuff. So that is my advice to my younger self. I would have said, don't listen to your mother, pursue your dream. And then there'll be plenty of time. I remember thinking at 19, I was over the hill. Oh, I know. Your twenties, you're like, I'm 22. I know. Oh, my life is over. Yeah. I'm going to be 24 when I graduate. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I did. I guess I was lucky. I had my kids pretty young. So I, I had that done, but I do have a regret. And that's, I didn't give what was my real passion at the time. Maybe still is my real passion. I don't know. I'm not really into this real passion thing anymore. I think we're too multifaceted for that. Oh, neither am I. Yeah. I want to do limiting. Oh, I think it is honestly on the point of are you passionate about what you do? I think especially early on in my career that caused me so much grief. Yeah. I was never passionate about what I was doing. I didn't have a dream job. I would only probably say like now with RTL, that's my dream job. Yeah. Honestly, but I don't think it's a very useful question. No. I think it's my dream job. Am I passionate about it? Most people are not. In the law, most people are not passionate. Yeah. Or it's hard to be passionate, especially at a junior level, because yeah. what you're doing yeah. is quite administrative. And you're so out of your comfort zone, you're not comfortable yet with what you're doing. Yeah. You don't have that confidence. But like I think there are so many other better questions to ask. Am I learning? Am I yeah. respected? Am I part of a good team? Sometimes it can be too aspirational. And this is going to sound horribly awful, but so many people don't get the dream life. But that's okay. I think when we were at that event, I talked about it. I'm living my plan B. I'm not living the dream that I had when I was a child and how I imagined things. But I'm happy. I'm happy. And and, and it's an adventure and it always gives me somewhere to go and to go, well, okay, I'm not limited. I haven't peaked too early or found that all the success that I dreamed of isn't exactly what I wanted. So I think, yeah, we have to get over that reaching that ultimate euphoric destination of finding your passion and just get on with the journey in a fun way and enjoy it with other people always don't be selfish 
do it with others, share your knowledge because it makes the road so much or the experience so much more fun. That's such a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Peppy. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for having me. There you have it, my honest conversation with Peppy Kish. I really loved what Peppy said about living her plan B. This got me thinking, who is actually living their plan A? I honestly don't know that many people, come to think of it. And even the people who have seemingly ticked all the plan A boxes have actually gotten there with some challenges and deviations and soul searching along the way. Often we can get really rattled when things do not go according to our plan A. If we miss out on that opportunity or we get overlooked for that promotion or we don't get the job that we wanted to the first time we apply or life circumstances change the course of our career for whatever reason or maybe we achieve a milestone sooner or later than what we expected. I know that I did not plan to be running my own business right now. (laughs) I was expecting to probably start in five years or so after I had finished having children and had more experience under my belt. But hey, here we are. Another thing that may affect our plan A is that we simply change our minds along the way. And that can be really hard and confronting when we have to seemingly walk away from something that we have worked really, really hard to get to. When I decided that I didn't want to become a lawyer anymore, that was really hard because I had put in so much time and effort and energy and hope and resources into achieving that goal. So when I readjusted the goalposts, even though it felt true in my heart, I was still a really big decision that I had to grapple with and redefine my own goals and my own values in light of this big penny drop moment. This conversation with Peppy is really great evidence that things will work out if we put in the hard work and stay true to our values and remain open to opportunities and go out there and create our own luck. Some questions that have really helped me when I am grappling with this, going outside of my comfort zone or pursuing a plan B is, what happens if I fail? What happens if I make the wrong decision? But rather than thinking like that, I challenge myself and think, okay, what is the best that could happen? And the other one that has always remained true is what happens if it turns out even better than I expected? I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. If you need someone to help guide you through your career plan B, please do keep in mind that this is my specialty and I do offer limited career mentoring support to firecrackers carving out their unique place in our profession. The best way you can support me and my work is to share and connect online. You can sign up to my mailing list where I'll share with you the latest podcast episodes and what I am doing behind the scenes. And the other thing you can do is share this episode with just one person who you feel may benefit from Peppy's advice today. Now, that person may be in family law or want to be in family law or experiencing a hard time at work, or they may even be considering setting up their own law firm. Please do share this episode with that person who you think may resonate with this episode. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you.